Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you once again for joining. We're not going to review our match against Roma on the weekend. We already reviewed that in our latest episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide with Joey Cacavalle. If you haven't already, be sure to check that one out. But we still have three parts for you today. In part one, we'll review our Femminile match against Florentia San Gimignano on the weekend. In part two, we'll review our Primavera match against Regina on the weekend. And in part three, we'll return to the men's game and recap all the other action from match day 28. So let's start with the Femminile who played against Florentia San Gimignano on Saturday. Heading into this match, we were second from the bottom of the table, where we've been pretty much all season long, four points back of the safety zone. We were coming off an important away draw to Inter. Florentia were coming off a draw as well, just like how we drew 0-0 to Inter, they drew 0-0 to San Marino. Heading into this match, Florentia were in seventh place and both teams were fairly well rested for this one. The last round was played in the first week of March, then the following weekend was the Coppa Italia semi-finals, which neither of these two teams participated in. Even with the extra rest, we were still without a number of key players, especially in the attack. Evi Popedinova picked up a muscular injury at the end of the Inter match, so she joined Depi Chatsinicolao on the sidelines. Goalkeeper Catalina Perez, defender Martina Fuzzini, and midfielder Giulia Rizina were all out for this one. Meanwhile, Florentia had no major injuries to report, so with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Florentia lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Amanda Tampieri in goal. Michele Rodella and Tamar Dungis started at centre-back. Giulia Bursi started at left-back and Serena Cecchi started at right-back. Francesca Imprezzabile and Cecilia Re started in the double pivot. 
Sara Nielsen started on the left wing and Sofia Cantores started on the right wing. Finally, Luisa Pugnali started in the 10 spot behind Melania Martinovic. For Napoli, Alessandro Pistolesi made three changes to the squad that he fielded against Inter and he shifted a few players around. He still lined up in his usual 4-3-3 with Sabrina Tasselli in goal. Alexandra Hune and Gomi Arnatodir started again at centre-back. Mariah Cameron started at left-back, so Elisabetta Oliviero moved over to right-back. Sara Huche started in the centre of the midfield over Vivian Beal. Emma Eriko moved over to the left side of the midfield because Eleonora Goldini returned from injury to start on the right side of the midfield. Izota Noki started as striker once again with Jenny Hillman on the left wing and Federica Cafarata on the right wing. Cafarata is officially a midfielder but last match she played at right back and this match she played on the right wing so she's quite versatile. You can basically play her anywhere on the right side of the field. Those were the starting lineups so let's get to the match. We got off to a perfect start to this match. We were pressing high and forcing Florentia to make mistakes. They would either play the ball straight back to us or play it out for a Napoli throw-in. We quickly pinned Florentia in their own end and before you even had a chance to settle in, we went ahead 1-0. Cafarata played a low ball in from the byline. Eriko did a great job to receive the pass at the near post without allowing it to go out of bounds before she poked it to Noki at the edge of the 6 yard box. She put away her first goal of the season and it came against her former club. Noki spent 2 seasons with Florentia before joining Napoli. She scored 6 goals in her first season but did not score any in her second. We doubled our lead 6 minutes later. Florentia right back Rodella squared for Ceciliere in the middle of the park. Eriko read the plan even before Rodella even made the pass, she charged forward from the midfield, which is why she got to the ball before Red did. Eriko poked it forward to Noki who picked up the ball just inside the Florentia half. She carried straight down the middle of the field and was just too quick for Rodella or center back Dongis to catch up to. Tampieri challenged but Noki kept her composure and rolled her shot inside the far post to score her second of the match. But just when it looked like Napoli were going to run away with this match, Florentia pulled one back. In the 17th minute, Ceciliare played a gorgeous in-swinging cross from the left side of the midfield. Martinovic timed her run perfectly to get between Tasselli and our back line and headed into the top corner to make the score 2-1. Even with Alexandra Hune marking Martinovic tight, she still looked dangerous throughout this match. The momentum swung in Florentia's favor after the goal, but Napoli did really well to withstand the pressure. In the 28th minute, Jenny Hillman went to ground in the area, but the penalty wasn't given. The replay showed that Chechi got her arms up on Hillman, but the official decided that there was not sufficient contact to warrant a penalty kick there. The two sides continued to exchange chances in the first half. Napoli nearly paid for a mistake made by Oliviero. She tried to play a long back pass to Tasselli but completely mishit the ball and it went straight out for a corner kick. Rodella played the corner to Martinovic who headed toward the top corner but Tasselli made an incredible save to protect the lead. The Primavera keeper has played so well since Catalina Perez got hurt that I would not be shocked if she remained the number one even after Perez returns. That proved to be a massive save. Only a minute later, Goldini doubled Napoli's lead with what was easily our goal of the season and could well be the goal of the year for all of Serie A. She chipped the ball from about 25 yards out 
perfectly into the top corner, leaving Tempietti no chance to make the save. So the first half ended 3-1 for Napoli. There was a long delay before the start of the second half. Pugnali was removed with an injury in the 34th minute and had to be taken to hospital for further testing, so the match could not resume until the ambulance returned. Play did eventually resume though, and it was Florentia who had the first big chance of the half in the 64th minute. Federica Anguilletti, who replaced Imprezzabile at the break, shot from about 30 yards out, but the shot smashed the bar and stayed out. Other than an Anguilletti free kick in the 85th minute that sailed over the bar, Florentia weren't able to create too much in attack. We defended really well in this match, we were very organized, we maintained our structure, and as a result, Florentia really struggled to find a way through. Neither side scored in the second half, so this match finished 3-1. This was a massive win for us. San Marino lost 2-0 to Sassuolo on Sunday, so we've pulled within one point of them and one point of safety. We still have to play San Marino on match day 19, which means we now control our own destiny. Pistolesi deserves a ton of credit both for this performance and for this team's turnaround. He started Noki at striker for the second consecutive match and she scored an important brace. Granted, we have a couple of injuries at striker, but he could have easily started Pia Riesdijk instead. He played Caferata on the right wing after playing her at right back last match, and she made a great play to set up the first goal. She also got back to help defend, and as I mentioned, he had Hune man-marking Martinovic, throughout the match. With respect to our season, we've earned 7 out of our 8 points since Pistolesi took over. He's earned 2 wins and a draw in his 6 matches in charge, which is absolutely huge for a club that is fighting for survival. Our next match is against Empoli, which will be an emotional match for the Azzurri coach. Pistolesi spent many years coaching at Empoli, first sitting on the Empoli bench in 1984. So that will do for part 1. In part 2, we'll review our Primavera match against Regina. Fala americano, americano, americano. Sienta me chi don fa fa. Tu vuoi vivere alla moda, ma se bevi whisky and soda, poi siente disturbato. Tu a ballo rock and roll, tu gioca baseball, vei sorta beccamella. Chi te li dà la borsetta di mamma tuo fa l'americano, americano. Americano, ma si nati in Italia, si entra a me non c'è sta niente a fa. Ok, Napolitan, tu vuoi fare l'American, tu vuoi fare l'American. In part 2, we'll quickly review our Primavera match on Saturday the 20th against Regina. Heading into this match, we were sitting in 10th place in the Primavera 2B. For those who don't know, the Primavera 2 has two groups, A and B and each has 12 teams, so 10th is not very good, even with up to 3 games in hand on some teams. 
We came into this match having lost three straights, first to Pisa and then to Pescara in back-to-back -back matches. Now, those games were not in order because of all the makeup games in the Primavera. We had also won only one of our previous five matches, so a match against Regina could not have come at a better time. Regina came into this match second from the bottom of the table with a record of three wins, one draw, and eight losses. They did get one of those wins in their previous match, but that was against the only team below them in the table in Salernitana. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Regina lined up in a 4-3-3 with Lorenzo Lofaro in goal. Antonio Villano and Gabriele Bongani started at centre-back. Davide Spaticchia started at left-back and Emanuele Foti started at right-back. Gabriele Carlucci played as the regista slightly behind Angelo Rechichi and Marco Scolaro. Alessandro Provazza started on the left wing, Aldo Bezzon started on the right wing, and Angelo Rao played at striker. For Napoli, Emmanuel Cascione switched from his usual 3-4-2-1 to a 4-4-2 formation. Hubert Dasiak started in goal, Oscar Guarino and Jonathan Spedalieri started at centre-back. They are usually full-backs, but Davido Costanzo is still with the senior team, and surprisingly, Nello Donofrio started on the bench. Vincenzo Potenza started at left-back and Benedetto Barba started at right-back. Raffaele Virgilio and Brando Sami started in the center of the midfield. Valerio Labriola started on the left wing and Nathaniel Amoa played on the right wing. Finally, Giuseppe Ambrosino and Giuseppe D'Agostino started as the dual strikers. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. The first meaningful talking point came in the 11th minute. Labriola played a ball into the area for Amoa, who lost the 50-50 challenge to Spaticchia. The ball fell for Ambrosino, who went to ground after what looked to be a clear foul by Rongani, but the penalty wasn't given. Regina had their first chance in the 17th minute. Carlucci played a through ball to Provazza, who was in a great position to shoot from inside the Napoli box, but the winger was unable to hit the target. Napoli had the next chance a few minutes later. D'Agostino played the ball from the left edge of the box to Ambrosino at the top of the box. He squared for Sami, but his shot finished high and wide of the mark. Napoli got another chance in the 24th minute from a corner kick. Labriola played an in-swinging cross that was cleared off the line, but fell for Virgilio at the penalty spot. Unfortunately, like Sami, he wasn't able to hit the target. Napoli had the final real chance of the half in the 40th minute after D'Agostino and Labriola dispossessed Carlucci in the Regina half. Labriola dribbled along the top of the box but pulled his shot wide of the mark, so the first half ended nil-nil. After the restart, Regina made their own claims for a penalty after Rao dribbled around Potenza before going to ground, but just like with Ambrosino in the first half, the penalty wasn't given, so at least we can say that the match official was consistent. Unfortunately, in the 68th minute, Napoli's captain Labriola was forced to leave the match with what appeared to be a muscle cramp. A few minutes later, we got yet another chance after substitute Antonio Vergara played a gorgeous through ball to D'Agostino straight down the middle of the field. D'Agostino fought off Carlucci before cutting to his left at the edge of the area to shake Biliani and to set up the shot on his preferred left foot. Unfortunately, Lofaro came off his line and made the biggest save of the match to that point. Napoli continued to push forward and thought we went ahead in the 72nd minute. D'Agostino dispossessed Foti in the Regina box before cutting back to Potenza in the area. Potenza finished past Lofaro, but D'Agostino had quite clearly fouled Foti on the play, so the goal did not count. However, only five minutes later, we finally got our goal. Napoli won a free kick on the left side of the midfield. Sami played an in-swinging cross toward the back post and Vergara got there first. His sliding shot looped across the face of the goal to beat Lofaro and give Napoli the 1-0 lead. 
Vergara thought he scored a second in the 81st minute. Once again, this goal came from a set piece, this time from the right side of the midfield. Again, Sami took the free kick, this time playing an outswinging cross toward the far post. And again, Vergara got there first. This time, he headed down and into the back of the goal, but somehow the linesman called him offside. He looked clearly onside to me, and I honestly don't know how the linesman could call that offside there. But in any event, the score remained 1-0. Vergara was excellent off the bench, he had another chance just a minute later but his shot from the edge of the area finished over the bar. The second half was all Napoli and in the final minute we were rewarded with a second goal and what a goal it was. Substitute Domenico Di Donna's shot was blocked by Rakiki inside the 6 yard box, the ball popped up to D'Agostino at the penalty spot, he shielded the ball from Foti, let it bounce once and then finished with an acrobatic overhead kick straight into the top corner. That was the final action of the match, so with the 2-0 win, we ended our 3-game losing streak. With the win, we shot up from 10th in the table to 7th, tied with both Pisa and Cosenza on 14 points, but with a slightly better goal differential. We also played our makeup game against Lernitana midweek, which we won 1-0. I'll recap that match next episode. I'm hoping to find the full match, though it's usually tough to find for bottom of the table teams. In any event, that win moved us up to 6th in the table, 2 points clear of Spezia, but they've played one fewer game than we have. The top three teams in the table, Pescara, Lecce, and Antella, have all played 13 games, which is two more than us. Benevento and Crotone, who are in 4th and 5th, have played one more game than we have. If we win both of those games in hand, we'd move up to 3rd in the table, which is the target. Pescara is going to be difficult to catch. Even if we win both of those games, they'd still be 8 points clear of us at the top of the table. The 2nd and 3rd place teams play in a promotion playoff, so that is where we want to be. Even though I said we have two games in hand, the truth is that we actually have three games in hand. We still have matches to replay against Regina, Spezia, and Lecce. However, only one team has actually played 14 games, which is Pisa, so it feels more like we only have two games in hand. So that will do for the Primavera. In part three, we'll go back to the men's game and see how our competitors did in match day 28. Quando vire gambe nesce mai, non da bilisi no so solo hai. Fatto coraggio si è lungo e sugar drom, in da sto viaggio a diventa nom. Non penso arrivare sempre prima e là, da non parte si oggi non danna papà. La strada più bella è no che là. final part we'll check in on how our main competitors did on match day 28. Heading into this round we were sitting in 5th place tied with Roma on 50 points. Inter were top of the table on 65 points, 9 points clear of Milan who were in 2nd. Juventus had pulled within 1 point of Milan after we beat Milan in the previous round. Atalanta were in 4th, only 3 points back of Juve and 2 points ahead of us. 
Finally, Lazio were in 7th on 46 points. So let's start with Milan. They had a chance to reduce the gap to Inter to 6 points. Inter's match against Sassuolo was postponed after the local health authority in Milan prevented the club from traveling. Milan took that chance, beating Fiorentina 3-2. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Brahim Diaz, and Hakan Chalanoglu scored for Milan, while Eric Pulgar and Frank Ribéry scored for Fiorentina. This was a really entertaining match, it was back and forth, the momentum was constantly changing, and there were plenty of goals. Fiorentina got off to a positive start, but it was Ibrahimovic who scored the first of those goals. Milan patiently knocked the ball around before Simon Kier played a ball over the top to the big Swede. Fiorentina tried to play the offside, but they got caught, leaving Ibrahimovic wide open in front of the goal, and with that much time and that much space, he simply doesn't miss. Milan's attack is far more lethal with Ibrahimovic in the lineup. He hasn't played much, but he seems to score every time he does. That was his 15th goal in 15 Serie A appearances this season. Fiorentina responded really well though, equalizing in the 18th minute after Diogo Dallo fouled Gaetano Castrovilli at the edge of the area. Eric Pulgar stepped up and played an absolutely perfect direct free kick up and over the wall and into the top corner. Gijo Donnarumma got a hand on the shot, but it wasn't strong enough to keep the ball out. Roberto Mancini was on hand specifically to see his young star keeper in action. I don't think he would be too upset with that goal though, it was just a perfectly executed free kick. Pulgar tried to do it again in the 29th minute, but this time Ibrahimovic was there to head the ball out for a corner kick. On the ensuing corner kick though, German Petzela nearly scored the goal of the year, but his back heel volley hit the frame of the goal and stayed out. At that point, I thought Fiorentina might actually get a result in this match. They were playing with hunger and determination, looking for that second goal, but then the momentum swung again. Milan came very close to scoring on two separate occasions in the final 10 minutes of the first half. First, Chalanoglu played Ibrahimovic through and he completely outmuscled Lucas Martinez Quarta before chipping over Bartolome Drogovski. Unfortunately, that shot hit the bar. Then five minutes later, Hakan got the second chance, but his dipping shot from outside the area just missed the far post, so after all of that, these teams went into the break tied at 1. Somehow, the second half was even more eventful than the first. Fiorentina took the lead only 6 minutes into the half. The play started with a run by Martinez Quarta on the right side. He played Valentin Isarek on the right wing, who then squared the ball to Dusan Vlahovic in the area. Vlahovic, who plays with a level of maturity you would not expect from a 21-year-old, received the pass with his back to goal and calmly laid it off to Frank Ribéry at the top of the box. The 37-year-old Frenchman hit the ball first time with the inside of his left boot to beat Donnarumma. Donnarumma saw the ball late with all the bodies in front of him, so after a 39-year-old put Milan ahead in the first half, a 37-year-old put Fiorentina ahead in the second half. Milan responded right away and equalized from a corner kick. It was actually Milan's second consecutive corner kick after Pietro Terracciano just barely got a hand on Chalanoglu's in-swinging corner. Terracciano was only on the field because Dragovski rolled his ankle, taking a goal kick in the first half and wasn't able to continue. On the second corner kick, Kair rose up to win a header and Brahim Diaz was quicker to react than his marker Isarek to tap in his second goal of the season. Diaz was actually playing out of position on the left wing with Chalanoglu back in the number 10 spot, but that move paid off for Stefano Pioli. That swung the momentum back in Milan's favor and in the 72nd minute, Hakan put Milan back ahead with a beautiful strike into the bottom corner. Neither team scored after that. Once again, Milan overcame adversity to get a result, and even though the Scudetto seems out of reach, this was a massive result for Milan's quest to return to the Champions League. 
Meanwhile, this was Cesare Prandelli's last game in charge at Fiorentina. In fact, it may have been his last football match ever. He penned a public letter explaining why he's no longer able to continue. It was actually quite sad. He talked about his extreme discomfort, how a shadow has grown inside of him, and how he no longer recognizes himself in the world of football. Hopefully, Prandelli remains involved in football in some capacity, but in any event, we wish him the best of luck. In the meantime, Beppe Iacchini will return to the Fiorentina bench for the balance of the season. Earlier in the day, Benevento shocked Juventus with a 1-0 win. Adolfo Geich scored the only goal of that match. Benevento started quite positively. They were pressing Juve and not allowing them to get settled, but Juve eventually took control of the match and started to get forward. Danilo had an excellent chance about midway through the first half after Alessandro Tuya cleared Ronaldo's cross straight to Danilo in front of the goal. Danilo should have done better, but his weak effort was blocked by a sliding Federico Barba. Tuya struggled in the first half. In the 33rd minute, Alvaro Morata dribbled around Tuya before firing a low shot on target, but Lorenzo Montipo got down to make the save. A few minutes later, Juve were awarded a penalty for a handball by Dom Fulham in the area, but VAR correctly reversed the decision. You could clearly see on the replay that Fulham actually pulled his arm behind his back and either chested or shouldered the ball out for a corner kick. Juve nearly scored on the ensuing corner kick when Matthias Delict rose up to win the header. Montipo made the save but pushed the ball back into the danger area. The ball fell for Morata but he skied his shot over the bar. Then in the 38th minute, Ronaldo scored on a cross from Dan Kulusevski, but Ronaldo was clearly offside so the goal did not stand and the first half ended nil-nil. The second half started with much of the same. Juve continued to get forward and create chances but their finishing really lacked quality. Ronaldo, Morata, and Kulusevski all watched as their shots missed the target. About midway through the second half, Benevento started to push forward as well, which then opened up the pitch and allowed Juve to attack on the counter. Juve nearly went ahead on the counter in the 68th minute, but Lorenzo Montipo made an excellent reaction save to prevent a Barba own goal. Montipo was arguably the man of the match. He was called into action a number of times, particularly in the final quarter of the match, and that was because Benevento shocked Juve with the opening goal of the match in the 69th minute. The play started with Bernardeschi playing a throw into Artur in Juve's end. That actually looked like a foul throw, but thankfully it was not called. Artur played a very dangerous pass in front of his own goal, where it was intercepted by Adolfo Geik. He fired from the top of the box and into the bottom corner to put Benevento ahead 1-0. That was a horrible mistake by Artur. Ironically, earlier in the week, Juve posted an article on the official club website about how Artur is the most accurate passer in all of Serie A. Now, technically he is, at least based on pass completion rate, but usually he's making quick 5-foot passes to his teammates in the midfield. Meanwhile, Geik was only making his second start of the season since joining from Moscow in January. He started over Gianluca Lapadula in Benevento's previous match against Spezia, and then he started over Gianluca Caprari in this one. After that, it was just wave after wave of Juve attack. Shortly after the goal, Federico Chiesa went down in the area looking for a penalty. It wasn't given, and the replay clearly showed that it was a dive. Montipo took over after that. In the 80th minute, he made a save on Ronaldo from a tight angle. Ronaldo appeared to have Morata in front of the goal, and they correctly pointed out in the broadcast that had the roles been reversed, Ronaldo would have been furious. Ronaldo had another chance a minute later with a bicycle kick in front of the goal, but Tuya was brave enough to stick his head in 
to disrupt the shot. Montipo made two more saves on Ronaldo after that. The most impressive one was in the 90th minute. Ronaldo did really well to stay on side. He took the ball down really well at the far post and Benevento gave him way too much time to set himself up for the shot. He fired on target but Montipo made himself big and saved the shot. The rebound fell for Danilo in front of the goal and for the second time in the match his effort was really poor, this time sending the shot way over the bar. In the end, Benevento held on for their first win since January, which is a massive win in their quest for survival. Meanwhile, this was a huge loss for Juve. Earlier in the week, Lega Serie A awarded Ronaldo the Italian Player of the Year award for the second consecutive season. And then before the match, Juve president Andrea Agnelli gave Ronaldo a jersey with the number 770 on the back, which is how many career goals Ronaldo has scored, and the jersey had the name Goat written on it. To me, that was symbolic of Ronaldo's time at Juventus. It seems this team has become more about their star player than about the team. Moving on, Atalanta beat Hellas Verona 2-0 on goals from Ruslan Malinovsky and Duvan Zapata. This was an intriguing matchup between two of the best coaches in all of Serie A. Ivan Juric was not on the Verona bench though, he was suspended for this match so his assistant Matteo Paro stood in his place. Giampiero Gasperini made a number of changes to his squad after playing against Real Madrid midweek. The most obvious change he made was to play with a four-man back line rather than his usual three, and all four were center backs. Pierluigi Golini was back in goal and Duvan Zapata was back in the starting 11 as well. Luis Muriel started the previous two matches while Zapata nursed a muscle injury. Those proved to be smart changes by Gasperini. Early on, Atalanta were the more positive side, but Verona defended really well. Around the midway point of the first half, the match started to get a bit chippy. Both sides were making a lot of tactical fouls in the middle of the pitch. Atalanta were the victims of a couple of high boots. Antonin Barak got his boot up on Rafael Toloi, leaving the defender who just got his first call up to the Azzurri with a bloody nose and a cut above his brow. Shortly after that, Federico Cecherini got his boot up on Ruslan Malinovsky. That led to the first real chance of the match. Malinovsky played an in-swinging ball into the area for Christian Romero. The big center back got a free header, but Del Silvestri made the save. Romero was getting forward often, which was perhaps part of Gasperini's plan, playing with four center backs. From that point on, Malinovsky and Zapata took over, and Cecherini and Matteo Lovato really struggled to mark them. In the 27th minute, Cecherini was fortunate not to be sent off. Malinovsky rather innocently fouled Cecherini while pressing him towards his own goal. Cecherini retaliated by kicking out at Malinovsky and easily could have been shown a straight red. Atalanta continued to push forward. Around the half hour mark, Zapata outpaced and outmuscled both Lovato and Cecchettini before firing a shot on target, but Del Silvestri made a good save. You felt that the Atalanta goal was coming, and a minute later, they got their break. Federico Di Marco handled the ball in the area, trying to defend Romero on the Atalanta corner kick. Atalanta had a number of corner kicks in the first half, so Romero spent a lot of time in the attacking half. Malinowski took the penalty and converted it to put Atalanta ahead 1-0. Zapata continued to give the Verona backline fits after that. In the 37th minute, Malinowski played him through ahead of Pavel Davidovic. Zapata fired past Adrian Tamez, who had tracked back to help defend, but the shot rocked the upright and stayed out. Zapata finally got his goal just before the break. Once again, he outpaced and outmuscled Lovato and Cecchettini, but this time he squeezed his shot past the challenging De Silvestri to double Atalanta's lead heading into the half. 
Verona got off to a bright start to the second half, but Atalanta weathered the storm and quickly took control of the match again, and after that, Verona really struggled to create anything. As commentator Thomas Holmes-Reed said in the broadcast, it's become somewhat of an expectation amongst the Italian media that performances in the lunchtime fixture are flat. Atalanta were very good, but Verona certainly were flat. They couldn't manage to get things going, their passing was off, and they weren't able to carve out any chances. Their only real chance in the match that I can remember came in the 74th minute when Darko Lazovic broke towards the goal on the left side of the area, but Golini was quick off his line and made himself big to make the save. Meanwhile, Atalanta continued to push forward as they often do. Luis Muriel nearly scored off the bench once again. He took on Davidovitz and completely undressed him, going to his right and then quickly cutting back to his left. Muriel had only De Silvestri to beat, but his shot missed the target at the near post. Josip Ilicic came off the bench and nearly scored as well. His curling effort from the edge of the area in the 92nd minute struck the bar and stayed out, but in the end it didn't matter. This was only the second time in the last 30 years that Atalanta have won in Serie A at the Bentagodi, and in the process they earned Giampiero Gasperini his 300th career win as a manager. That was also the first time that Verona have lost three straight matches in nearly three years. The last time that happened was in May 2018. Mind you, these three losses were against some really tough opponents in Milan, Sassuolo, and Atalanta. Finally, Lazio beat Udinese 1-0 on another gorgeous goal from Adam Marusic. For the second match in a row, first against Crotone and then in this match against Udinese, this wasn't exactly a great performance by Lazio, yet they still walked away with the win. I wasn't shocked by the scoreline, Udinese is a much better team than Crotone, and anyone who's watched them this season know that they are one of the toughest teams in the league to beat. They defend very well, they're very organized at the back and the few goals that they do score tend to come on the counterattack. Credit to Lazio though for their persistence, Lazio's first real chance of the match came about 11 minutes in, Luis Alberto fired on target from the edge of the area, Juan Musso who is usually very reliable made the save but spilled the rebound. Chiro Immobile pounced on the rebound but his effort missed the target. He went to ground on the play and for a second it seemed like Lazio might be awarded a penalty because there was contact on the play but the VAR decided there was not sufficient contact to award a penalty. Lazio continued to push forward. If I'm not mistaken they had 8 corner kicks in the first half alone. Ironically the opening goal which came in the 37th minute did not come from a corner kick. Somehow the Sergei Milinkovic-Savage got all the way through to Adam Matisic on the left side of the area. Matisic was left completely unmarked and even though he moved into traffic, he managed to bend his shot inside the far post. That was his second goal of the season. His first was also a bending shot to the far post but from much further out against Atalanta. Udinese nearly equalized on the final kick of the half. Lucas Leva inadvertently prodded the ball into the path of Jens Streaker Larsen, who was clear on goal, but Pepe Reina made a big save to preserve the lead. Udinese certainly had their chances in the second half, and once again, it seemed Rodrigo De Paul was involved in just about everything positive that Udinese did. In fact, De Paul himself nearly equalized shortly after the restart, but his shot smashed the upright and stayed out. Then in the 63rd minute, he played a gorgeous ball into the area, but Ilya Nestorovsky wasn't able to get on the other end of it. That pass was nothing compared to the one DePaul pulled off in the final minutes of the match. He played a perfect Rabona to pick out Stefano Okaka in the area. Okaka got a free header and probably should have scored, but failed to hit the target. Nesterovsky had another chance in the 93rd minute and made decent contact with his volley from the edge of the area, but his shot narrowly missed the goal. 
So like I said, Udinese had their chances, but it just wasn't meant to be. Meanwhile, Chiro Immobile failed to score for his 6th consecutive match in Serie A and his 7th in all competitions. His best chance came in the 68th minute, in fact it was a double chance. Lazio were looking to strike on the counter-attack, Luis Alberto played Immobile into space. He controlled the ball with his first touch, then dribbled past Rodrigo Bacal beautifully with his second and third touch, but his fourth touch was poor. That forced him to shoot with his left foot, which allowed Musso to get off his line to make the save. The rebound fell for Immobile and his second effort hit the outside of the post and stayed out. Lazio didn't create a whole lot other than that and I think they were rather fortunate to walk away from this match with all three points. So Milan reduced the gap to Inter to 6 points and maintained a sliver of hope in winning the Scudetto. Ironically, what most people consider to be Inter's advantage, namely playing only once a week, has now become a disadvantage at least with respect to Milan, Atalanta and Roma. Like Juve, Napoli and Lazio, Inter will have to play their makeup game in between two other rounds of Serie A. Meanwhile, heading into this round, a lot of people thought that Juve had a better chance of catching Inter than Milan did, but despite Inter not playing, Juve remained 10 points back. It's funny how much of a difference one game can make. Juve went from being the favorites to finish in second, to now people questioning whether they will even finish in the top four. Atalanta are now tied with Juve on points, but Juve have that game against us in hand. Their first meeting in Torino finished 1-1, so the second meeting will be really important if they finish the season tied on points. Our win over Roma was effectively worth 4 points, we're now 3 points clear of Roma in 5th, and we own the tiebreaker winning both head-to-head matches, and we did it by a combined score of 6-0. Finally, Lazio are 1 point behind Roma and would surpass their local rivals by winning their game in hand against Torino. So that will do for this episode, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5 star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. Even though we're now in the international break, I still plan to put out at least one episode a week, so keep an eye out for that. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre!
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.